the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Dudley Rutherford, Senior Pastor of Shepherd Church up there in the northwest corner of the Los Angeles, the San Fernando Valley. I'm with you all afternoon here at KKLA, and thank you for joining us. I hope you're having a wonderful day. I hope you'll invite others for this next segment, the impact segment, because I'm talking to someone who leads a incredible church and ministry, a great man, a great friend, Brother Greg Laurie of Harvest Church. Greg, thank you so much for joining us today on the afternoon show. Hey, Dudley, thanks for having me on. Good to be with you. How, how are you feeling, brother? There's so much sickness and craziness in the world. How are you personally feeling these days? Uh, you mean physically or yeah. In general? Yeah, yeah, just... just... <laughs> I'm feeling, I feel great. I'm healthy. I got COVID way, way back, almost a year ago, okay. and kind of got through it pretty quickly. But the only downside is I never got my sense of smell back. Mm. So I just am sort of living with that. But, R- right. but I, I tell you, Dudley, I'm feeling very hopeful. I see God is at work. Mm. I see people are open to the gospel. Mm. I see people are searching, maybe even a little bit more than normal. So, you know, what we did at our church is, you know, we sort of pivoted. We went online. Right. And and we have live open services as well. So we've been meeting in person at our campuses in Riverside and Orange County. But then we have an online service that we do on Saturday night and Sunday called Harvest at Home that has just really been well received mm. and uh, is viewed around the world. And that was something that we didn't have before. A whole new audience was out there, and I think people are hungry for spiritual truth, and they're hungry for the Word of God, and and they're hungry for Jesus. And so I think it's a great opportunity for us to seize the moment. Right, and your church, uh, the Harvest Church there in Riverside and your other campuses, have, have you kind of felt like a lot of your old-timers have stopped coming, and it's just a lot of new people that are excited. I, that's that's kind of what I'm seeing at my church. Yeah, absolutely. We've Some of the uh, old-timers, as you call them, uh, are, are, are have left, and a lot of new people have come in. Actually, last Sunday we had something we called Next Gen Sunday, and we had the younger people leading the worship. And oh, I love that. And kind of a youth takeover, and it was so cool. It was so fun. I, and, and I actually gave a message called what I would say to my younger self, you know, kind of a looking back at my life, if I could speak to a younger version of me, what I would tell myself. But, you know, we're reaching a lot of people we weren't reaching before. And, you know, some are staying at home out of concern for their sure. health or being exposed sure. to COVID. Uh, some aren't coming to church. Some maybe are going to another church. It's kind of a little shifting, but but our church is full and people are excited, and we're seeing God at work. So well, you know we just we just minister to the people that God puts in front of us, but we're reaching all new audience online as well. And and of course, as you know, we're getting ready to do another Southern California Harvest Crusade 
one night only on October 3rd, which is about 30 days away. It is exactly one month uh, from today, I believe. Uh, today's yeah. October 3rd. Is, your, is it on a Friday or Saturday night? It's on a Sunday night, Dudley. It's on a Sunday and, night. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a last-minute thing because we already started to do a movie last year. We couldn't do the crusade, so we did what we called a cinematic crusade. We created a special project called A Rush of Hope that was just really blessed by the Lord, and, and a lot more people actually saw it than would, normally, than would normally come to a crusade. We saw a lot of people make a profession of faith to follow Christ. So we're working on a second film right now, and, and I just had the thought, you know, maybe we should just try to do a one-night event. So we went to Angel Stadium. Fortunately, it was, oh, it was open. We have a great working relationship with them. Right. We've been going there for over 30 years now. And so we secured the venue, got some good friends to play for King and Country. We'll be there, Phil Wickham. So it's a one-night uh, harvest event at Angel Stadium, uh, October 3rd, and that is a Sunday. couple things. One, uh, anyone who's listening, uh, all you need to do is to go to harvest.org, harvest.org, to find everything you need to know about that crusade. Greg, as you mentioned, the second thing, you've been doing these crusades for over 30 years. I, I, I kind of have a couple questions about all that. You know, Billy Graham was a great evangelist. You just wrote a book uh, on his life, and uh, you, you can mention that, talk about that book for just a second. But Billy Graham was kind of known as an evangelist over this, over this country, over the, around the world, really. And, and really, no one else has ever stepped into those shoes, uh, to my knowledge, uh, except you, and the crusades that you've done here in Southern California and in Dallas and, and, and probably other places. But tell me in this crusade that you're going to have, there's someone listening right now who doesn't even know what we're talking about. They don't understand what is a crusade. They don't know what's going to happen, and we're inviting them to come. I want you to explain to someone who's listening right now who's never been to a crusade what, what are they going to experience from the time they get out of their car when they park there at Angel Stadium and they decide to come? What are they going to experience? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, let me just uh, address what you said earlier. You know, I think Billy was a singular figure in American history, really in world history. I wrote a book about him called Billy Graham, The Man I Knew, and I wanted to sort of reintroduce him to a new generation. I don't think that anyone will ever take his place, but... Have I been inspired by Billy? Yes. 100%. I, I learned everything I know about evangelism, not only by attending his events, but by getting to know him personally and, and really studying what he did so I could do the best version of what God has called me to do. So basically, a crusade is a term that Billy coined, and it, it basically is an evangelistic event. I call it proclamation evangelism. So we have church services, like you and I do, mm -hmm. on Sundays. We primarily teach the Word. We have worship. Uh, we, we minister to people. We baptize people. We have communion, all the things that church should do. And, and we will give opportunities for people to come to Christ. Then we have Christian concerts, you know, with this performing. So a crusade, as we call it, is different. It's music. Like I said, for King and Country, we'll be there and Phil Wickham. But then it is a very clear, direct, evangelistic message designed really for a non-believer to listen to. 
And we have found that 85% of the people that walk forward and make a profession of faith to follow Christ were brought by a friend. So the key to the success of one of these events is when my Christian friends who are listening out there make a decision to come with a non-believer in tow. In fact, I wish I could charge admission. It is free, by the way, but I wish I could charge admission and say the admission to get in this event is (laughs) have one non-believer with you. It needs to hear about Jesus. And so at the end of my message, I give an opportunity for people to come to Christ, and I call them to come down on the field and make a public stand. And over the last 30 years, we've seen well over 500,000 people do that in person, and thousands more online and and through other things that we do. So this is something that it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. You know, to, to be in a stadium filled with thousands of Christians worshiping the Lord and then seeing thousands of people make a commitment to follow Christ, as far as I'm concerned, it's a taste of heaven. Greg, this I'm going to ask you a question that no one's ever asked you online, on television, okay. radio, podcast. Uh, do, do, you, do you ever get a pedicure? Uh, yes, I have had one. I don't get them very often. If if but, I were if I, I were to if you were to post a picture of your feet, would that be a a pleasant sight or an uh, unpleasant sight? I don't think it would be the most pleasant sight of all time. No. Okay, I I I'm setting you up here because the Bible tells us in Romans ten fifteen it says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the yes. good news. I don't know of anyone else in our country today that is doing more for evangelism than Greg Laurie and the Harvest Crusade. And if you read Romans 10, where it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news, which basically means the people that are presenting the gospel and leading people to Christ, that this, this this is why God put us on this planet with feet and with hands and with a voice, is that we might point people to Jesus Christ. So... Whether you get a pedicure or not, Greg, I, I, you have some of the most beautiful feet of anyone on this planet for all the people you've led to the Lord. But the, the second half of that verse or that passage says, how can they preach unless they are sent? And this, this is for those of you who think, hey, I, I, I have a difficult time leading people to Christ. I'm burdened about my husband. I'm burdened about my children, my neighbor, someone who I work with. This is your opportunity to do two things. One is to, as Greg just mentioned, to invite them to attend the Harvest Crusade, which is in one month away. You, you can actually take a month and try to, everyone listening can find someone to bring to that crusade. You've got a month to do it. And then secondly, to go to harvest.org, support this crusade with your finances. And, and, and Greg did not ask me to do this. This is all coming from my own heart and from what God had laid on me to talk about today, you can actually send Greg up into that, says, how, how can they preach unless they are sent? And what that means is there got to be people who support people like you that do things on the scale that you do them. So we can help prayerfully, we can help financially, but most of all, again, get involved in bringing someone to that crusade. Greg, I want to ask you again, this, this is an angel stadium. You've got King and Country, Phil Wickham, and I want you to I want to give you a phrase. I just want to give you a moment to speak into the hearts of the people who are listening right now. This phrase, the power of the gospel. When when I and and you didn't know I was going to ask this question, 
But when I say the phrase, the power of the gospel, explain, explain what that means and how that applies to people who are listening right now. Yes. Well, the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God under salvation to everyone who believes. So Paul uses an interesting word for power. It's from the Greek word dunamis. So there was a man named Alfred Nobel. He, did, he invented this explosive material, and he needed a name for it. So he went to a friend who knew Greek, and he said, what is the Greek word for explosive? And his friend said, it's dunamis. So Alfred Nobel, best known for the Nobel Peace Prize, named this explosive device dynamite. Okay, so here's what Paul is saying. And this is not said of anything else. He says, the gospel is the explosive power of God unto salvation. Mm. And here's the thing. Sometimes we overcomplicate the gospel. Sometimes we add to the gospel. Sometimes we take away from the gospel. What I found, Dudley, is that the most important thing we can do is present the gospel as it is. The word gospel means good news. The simple message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth and died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead. And if we'll turn from our sin and put our faith in him, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can find the meaning and purpose of life on earth, and we can have the guaranteed certainty that we will go to heaven when we die. So there's power in that message. And sometimes we get diverted into other messages. It might be you know, a political message. It might be a moral message. It might be a cultural message. And maybe those things all have their place. But front and center should be the gospel message, because the gospel is the power of God. And every Christian can deliver this message. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. You just have to be someone that takes the time to look at what the Bible says about the gospel and proclaim it and stand back and watch what God will do. Somebody walks in that crusade one month for day, the Harvest Crusade at Angel Stadium, and again, you can find more out, uh, uh, more about this at harvest.org. They're going to hear this gospel. Correct? Yes. Yeah, they sure will. That's, that's kind of my job. You know, uh, Dudley, when I was a kid, I had a paper route, and I had a super cool bike. It was a Schwinn Stingray Sweet. with a stick shift on it and a banana seat. And I put the bags for my paper, the Daily Pilot, and I became pretty skilled at throwing those papers, you know, kind of the sideways throw, the clear the edges throw, the underhanded toss. And my job was not to write the news. My job was not to make the news. My job was just to deliver the news. And my job hasn't really changed. I'm just a delivery boy. I, I go up there with a very simple task deliver this gospel message, call people to Christ. When I'm done, that's what I'm there to do. And, and I, you know, learned a lot of this watching Billy Graham do it and, and, you know, to deliver it with simplicity and clarity and in a way that is culturally understandable today. I don't assume my audience understands terminology I'm using, so I'm very careful to define my terms. And just so if they decide to not believe in Jesus, it's not because they didn't understand what I'm saying, but it's because they chose not to believe it. So I do everything I can to deliver it in a streamlined, simple un- uh, way. And then from the beginning of my message to the end, I effectively preach for a decision. I'm building to the point where I'm going to say, would you like to accept Christ right now? 
Would you like to have your sin forgiven? Then I give people that opportunity. Do you, do you consider yourself more of a pastor or more of an evangelist? Yeah, that's. A, I've been asked that question before. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm both. You know, in fact, once Billy Graham himself said to me, Greg, I think you should leave your church and go into full-time evangelism with me. Well, that's a very tempting offer. Huh. <laughs> and and I said to Billy, I said, wow, Billy, to have you say that to me is like Moses talking to me. And he smiled. I said, let me pray about that. And I did pray about it. And I came back after thinking this over and considering it and asking the Lord for direction. And I told Billy, Billy, I, I love to preach the gospel, but I also feel called to be a pastor. So I, I just feel called to right. do both. You and, know, and in a way, I, I do both on Sundays, but I mainly teach the Word of God like right. you do, Dudley. Right. And you do it so well. And I give invitations. But when I go to the crusade, I sort of take my pastor hat off in a way, <laughs> and I put my evangelist hat on. And by that, I simply mean that I'm not there to exposit Romans 2. You know, right. I'm there to proclaim this very simple message. So it's a different kind of a focus, but it's something I, I feel called to do. But but I do consider myself a pastor as well. I see you do so many things with writing, and you do these films. You did a film on Steve McQueen. You wrote the book on Billy Graham. You've written over 70 books. You pastor. You do the Crusades. I see you on Instagram. I, I feel like you're running a, a 100 miles an hour doing more now than you've ever done in your entire life. <laughs> And and yeah. and you you still do it with joy and 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 there's a you you still have a lot of humor you're you're still enjoying ministry more than you ever have before correct? Yeah, I think I I really am, and I think you know when you're first starting it's all new. Mm-hmm. Then years pass, and I've been at this almost fifty years, uh. and and I do enjoy it a great deal, and and I um you know Paul says I want to finish my race with joy, so. I'm not at the beginning of my race. Uh, I'm past the middle of it. I'm somewhere toward the end. Does that mean I have 20 more years? Maybe. 25 years? That's possible. 10 years? Only God knows. Right. But all I know is when you're coming to the toward the end of a race, it's not the time to slow down. That's the time to speed up. Oh, that's a great you analogy. Want to, you want to win the race. We run to win. And, and I'm not competing with any other pastor. I'm not competing with you or, or some other Bible teacher on KKLA. My competition is with the devil and, and the flesh and sin. Uh, so, you know, I'm running to win my race that God has called me to do, but I consider it a great privilege to be a pastor and a preacher. And, and I, I do enjoy it probably more now than I ever have. I know you enjoy it as well. I was just talking with my friend David Jeremiah who is 80 years old, and, and he's, he has so much passion and zeal for what he does. And that encourages me because I'm 68, so, you know, he's 12 years ahead of me. There you go. So I'm encouraged when I look at people like David Jeremiah or Chuck Swindoll or John MacArthur or others who've been running longer than me, and I see their passion, and I want to keep this passion. In fact, I would say when we lose this passion – or if we lose this passion, we should either pray God gives it to us, or we should do something else. Because, you know, that, that's important to love what you do, and I do love what I do. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on uh, this afternoon's show, and I want to encourage everyone out there listening again to go to harvest.org. The crusade is one month uh, away, October the 3rd. Today's September the 3rd, I believe. 
this crusade is on October 3rd. It's a, it's a Sunday night, and I've been to those crusades uh, many, on uh, many occasions, and I, will, I, I, I just guarantee you it's a different atmosphere than a church. You walk in, it's, it's a baseball stadium, but it's set up uh, with a stage. Uh, Greg is there. You've got King and Country. Phil Wickham is there. And uh, it is a very relaxed atmosphere. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you'll walk in. You're going to hear some great worship. You're going to hear the message, the Word of God preached. The Bible says it is destined. It is destined for each of us to die and after that to face the judgment. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. You want to get your loved one. You want to get that person there that you are burdened about. Get them at that crusade and uh, be prayerful. Uh, pray for Greg. Support them. Get to harvest.org. God bless you, and thank you again for being here, Greg. It's just been a pleasure to have you here. Hey, Dudley, great to be with you. God bless you and all the folks listening. Thank you. We'll be back right after these messages. Woo! Is everybody excited? It's Pastor Dudley Rutherford sitting in here in the afternoon show at KKLA. I am the senior pastor of Shepherd Church. You can go to shepherdchurch.com, or I have a website called liftupjesus.com. And uh, we're here every night, Monday through Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. You'll, you'll be able to be introduced to our church and, and uh, just hear a sermon and a message that is applicable, that is biblical and a message that is encouraging. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, comes across, I think, in my preaching is that yeah, I have a lot of fun uh, and, and uh, very engaging, but the thing that comes across is that this is important, that this sermon is important, the Word of God is important, that God is important, Jesus is important, the Holy Spirit is important, that uh, it, it's not a game. Uh, we're, we're really dealing with some spiritual truths because there's a lot of spiritual warfare going on in our world. And today's all afternoon, we spent that first hour. If you didn't get to hear it, you've got to go back and listen to the podcast of the three o'clock hour where we talked about this man named Casey Diaz. He was in studio, his life story. He wrote a book called The Shot Caller and how he's involved in gangs and he was in a prison. I forgot to tell the most important part of that story, but he's in Folsom prison and there's a lady down the hall, he hears this voice, and it's this lady who does prison ministry, and she comes down and, and, and begins to say, hey, Jesus loves you, and uh, God's going to use you one day. And he's this hardcore gangbanger. He's in prison. Yeah, right, lady. Eventually, he gets saved, and um, I forgot to tell this part of the story. This woman was from South Central L.A. at a church in South Central L.A., and once a month, she would take two days. She would drive all the way to Folsom Prison, which is north of Sacramento, and she would uh, take eight hours to drive up there, spend the night, get up the next day and do prison ministry, and then she would drive all the way back. That man was saved because of a woman who drove from South Central L.A. to Folsom Prison, took two days every month to do prison ministry. His life was changed. Then we just got off the phone with Greg Laurie of Harvest Crusade. He's going to do a crusade in a month. And, 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 and that whole crusade is just about seeing God move miraculously and change people's lives. 
I am in studio with a friend, a man who has, last time I was hosting, I had him come on. We talked about a lot of other things. And the reason I'm having him come back today is because he recently has wrote a book that I think each of you need to pick up, something that is so applicable to what's going on in our world today. But the bottom line about all this is we're, we, we want to see God move in your life and in the lives of those around you. Uh, Caleb Kaltenbach is, is an author. He's a friend. Uh, he's currently on my staff. He's been a pastor. Uh, Caleb, I want you to say hello. Just how, how you doing today? Hello, L.A. You're in, you are in studio here. And Caleb is one of the most interesting guys in the world. If you weren't <laughs> with us last time we were on air. But Caleb was raised by two parents that are three parents that were all gay. And uh, tell us that, 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 that testimony. Yeah, yeah. I was raised in Columbia, Missouri. They were both professors. They divorced when I was two. Uh, my dad had several different friends they, because they both went out, came out of the closet and went into same-sex relationships. My dad had several friends. My mom, on the other hand, was in a 22-year monogamous relationship with uh, a psychologist named Vera. They moved to Kansas City, home of the greatest football team in the NFL. The Steelers? Who, who are they? The Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, the, you said they, the greatest they, team in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, they're a JV team, right? For oh, middle no, no, school. They're, they're 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 not they're better than the Kansas City Chiefs. <laughs> okay, who is at the Super Bowl? Anyway, um, so <laughs> who said anything about the Super Bowl? <laughs> Back you to go. your story, Caleb. Back, Back to my story. The important things. Yeah. So we, uh, um, my my mom and her partner were activists, and I went with them to parades when I was growing up. And you went to gay parades. Yes, in clubs and bars and campouts and house parties. And uh, I saw how some... How did you ever turn out? How did you ever turn out normal? You're not normal, but... No, no. I think uh, I think that could be disputed okay. that I'm normal. <laughs> okay. But, but um, I'm not creepy, strange. I'm just strange. <laughs> you're a little creepy. Well, I'm a little creepy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, but, but you're raised by these gay parents. Yes. And somehow you become a Christian. I did. I joined a Bible study to learn how to disprove the Bible, and obviously that turned out real well. Oh, great. It, it was a great plan. And um, because I learned that Jesus was not like some of the other Christians that I had saw, mm. you know? He wasn't throwing water and urine on people, mm. you know? Um, he wasn't holding up signs against them. Jesus actually loved them. And so um, I was like, man, I can get on board with him. And um, and then I had to come out as a Christian when I was 16 to my three gay parents, and they kicked me out of the house. Wow. And uh, eventually they let me back in, um, and then I became a pastor. I was on staff. Uh, the first time I was oh, on well, staff. Well, slow down, slow down. Yeah. You, you got three gay parents. You come, out of, you, you come out as a Christian. Right. And they kick you out of the house. Right. You're 16 years of age. Right. And, and where'd you go? What'd you do? How, how'd you, you do for your high school years? I stayed with some friends okay. uh, that I know until my parents let me back in. But you're you're serving God. You're ser- you believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and at the time that you did that, were you uh, were you mad at your parents? Were you accepting of your parents? Were your I had changed my theological. I changed my view on sexuality and marriage to what I currently hold today, the historic Christian view of marriage, okay. which is that God designed sex to be expressed in marriage between one man and one woman. Okay. Um. And that's part of the reason why they kicked me out, too. Okay. And, um, and, and, and then you end up going to a Bible college? To the same one you did. Okay. Many years later. Yeah. And, and how, how did you end up going to a Bible college? Well, I told them I wanted to go, and they told me I'd be homeless on the street. And, uh, you know, by getting a Bible degree, 
And I said, well, I, I mean, Jesus was homeless, so I could kick it. Did, did you feel a call into ministry? Oh, big time. I couldn't. I, I, I gave my life to ministry a week to the day after I was baptized. Um, I just I was at this Christ in Youth CIY conference, and I just felt like going forward. And I said, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, tell people about Jesus, help people find Jesus. This is, this is, it's really an unbelievable story. Yeah, so— you got, you got three gay parents. This is Pastor Dudley Rutherford of Shepherd Church over here in the San Fernando Valley, and I'm talking to Caleb Kaltenbach, who was raised by three, three gay parents. And the reason we're talking to him today, we'll get back to that story, he's written a book. He wrote a book called Messy Grace, and he just came out with a brand-new book called Messy Truth. And, uh, and Caleb, we're going to get back to this book in, in one more second, but tell me again you decided when you became a Christian, you were all in. I was all in. And so you went to Bible college. Yep. And, and today, I'll, I'll tell this to people, because of your background, uh, being raised by three gay parents, and, and you just have a different perspective on this topic, because most Christians, when we think of the gay community, we really struggle with what to do. We, we struggle on how to reach them. We don't, we don't know how to reach uh, the LGBTQ community. We just don't know. I, I'm a pastor. I mean, I know to preach the gospel. Right. But nine times out of ten, if they come to any of our churches, this is true for everybody listening, if if someone in the LGBT community came into one of our churches, they're, they're typically offended and walk out the door before they ever hear the gospel presented. Yep. There's, there's something that's lacking in our ability as the saved the saints, the believers, the church, to present the gospel in such a way. Uh, and the, the gospel offends. Uh, the, you know, I'm, not, I'm saying the gospel doesn't offend, but there's something we're missing something in this process of trying to reach the, the the LGBT community. And your life, your ministry, your story, God, you came out of that those three gay parents into ministry. For such a time as this, because God is using you all over this country, writing these books, dealing with this particular topic, trying to help us marry, marry grace and truth. Right. Am I, am I correct? No, you're correct. There is a tension that we have to live in between grace and truth. And I think part of what's missing is we got to live in that tension. Um, and we have to learn that we don't have to sacrifice truth for grace. We don't have to sacrifice grace for truth. We don't have to be – we should never be anti-cultural, but we should be countercultural. There's a big difference between the two. Um, Jesus was countercultural. He was not anti-cultural. He was countercultural to the secular community, the religious communities, and that is part of what made him you know, attractive. And that was part of, I think, his evangelistic formula and how he drew himself – people to himself because he was so different. And if we – learn to really value evangelism more than anything else, I think that we will begin to catch that spirit. Your book, Messy Truth, which just came out, uh, you wrote a book called Messy Grace, but you wrote this book called Messy Truth. We're going to come back after the break. I want to. I want you to talk about this book and tell me if uh, any of the listeners pick up this book, what, what advantage will they have by reading this and dealing with people that they know and their family, the LGBT community? What, what is this book going to do for the believer, the Christian who reads this book? And uh, again, my name is Dudley Rutherford. I'm talking to Caleb Kaltenbach. wrote a book called Messy Grace, Messy Truth. We're here today talking about his book. I'm the senior pastor of Shepherd Church, 
And we're going to come back, and this is going to be the very last segment. Caleb, I'm a little, I'm a little sad because I've, I've been doing this all week, and this is it. But ladies and gentlemen, don't ever forget that God can reach anyone, the person that you think that can, no way they'll ever get saved. That is exactly who God wants to reach. And I believe that part of this book called Messy Truth is going to help you reach someone involved in a community that most of us think we can never reach that type of person, but God can reach anybody. We'll be right back. Oh, it's Dudley Rutherford of Shepherd Church, your afternoon host here on KKLA Afternoon Show. And, um, you know, we have a church here in the San Fernando Valley, and you can look us up at shepherdchurch.com or, or go to liftupjesus.com. We're here every night at 7 o'clock p.m., KKLA. I love this radio station. I love the fact that in one of the worldliest cities uh, in, in, in the world uh, that um, – that there's a light, there's a beacon of hope that that lifts up the name of Jesus and some of the greatest preachers in our country are on this radio sh- channel all day long. And I have the privilege today of sitting in studio with uh, Caleb Kaltenbach, who's an author of a book called Messy Grace. He wrote a book called Messy Grace, and he just came out with a brand new book called Messy Truth. We talked last segment about the fact that he was raised by three gay parents. Think about that. You talk about a dysfunctional home. He was raised by three gay parents. He becomes a Christian. He has to come out as a Christian, come out of the closet as a Christian. They kick him out of the house. Caleb uh, didn't have the time to tell you the rest of that story, but uh, his parents all became Christians eventually. And that's another story of itself. But you can read about that if you pick up these books, Messy Grace and Messy Truth. The latest one, Messy Truth, uh, and Caleb, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to tell our listening audience what will happen if they were to read this book. I want to read a couple of the endorsements at the front of the book. One was by Kyle Eidelman, who's a senior pastor of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. He wrote the book, The Fan. He says, in messy truth, you will grow in your compassion for in conversation with those in the LGBT community. Caleb Kaltenbach is a leader, a pastor who fosters relationships without sacrificing conviction, and he will teach you to do the same. Then John Townsend, Ph.D., New York Times bestseller, bestseller says, as the churches of our world become increasingly polarized on the complicated issues of life, Caleb Kaltenbach's ideas are a welcome voice of warmth and biblical clarity. Without sacrificing principle, he brings the reader a grace-filled lens to view the difficulties we face, which also provides practical skills. I want to read a couple more. Jarrett Stevens, the senior pastor of Champion Forest Baptist Church, a great church, he writes, in Messy Truth, you'll learn how to best point your LGBTQ friends to Jesus and help them connect to Christ-centered communities. The last one is by Rich Birch, the author of Church Growth Flywheel, host of Unseminary Podcast. He writes, I was drawn in by Caleb's winsome approach through the entire book and found myself wanting to talk about it with others. Gather your leadership team and dig into this book together. Caleb, I want you to take a moment, and and, and the reason is because this issue is so critical in in our world today with the confusion on gender identities, the laws in the state of California. I just read an article where 
some transgender guy walked into a woman's spa and exposed himself. All the people sitting in the spa were shocked and asked uh, for him to be removed. He's actually showing his private parts to the women. And the management came out because of the California laws in this state, uh, gender equality. They, the, the, the staff said we cannot remove him because of the laws of California. This all ties in back to Governor Newsom and the Democratic Party who run this state. But personally, as a pastor and as individuals, I've said this before. I want every homosexual man in the world and lesbian woman in the world to come to my church. I, I want them there. I, I want to preach the gospel to them. But the gospel, the gospel offends, and the and the gospel, uh, you know, it, it will it 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 points out sin. And that, you know, we've ex- the culture in which we live is forcing us to accept this. And now we won't even call kids. We won't call boys boys and girls girls because of the gender identity issues. But this is where you come in and how you were raised uh, with with three gay parents, and then you became a believer. You went to Bible college. You're a pastor. Now you travel the country to churches and to leaderships, to to Bible colleges, teaching on this subject. So with that as a setup, explain this book, Messy Truth, and why someone needs to pick this up at at the Amazon.com or wherever they buy their books. Thank you so much, Dudley. Yeah, I, I, I really believe that truth is not messy, but I call it a messy truth because truth feels and looks messy when we when our beliefs about the Bible, about Jesus, run contrary to culture, when we have to have when we have compassion for people that are not like us and we need to learn how to have empathy with them, and when we have to have conversations that are difficult about truth. Um, that's why I devoted a whole last section of that book. How do you have difficult conversations about truth without shaming uh, or or offending people? Because here's the thing. Like you said, I agree with you. The, the gospel is offensive. The Bible is offensive to all of us. It should. I'm a sinful person. So naturally, God's righteousness is going to offend me. But that doesn't mean that the person sharing the gospel has to be offensive. Mm. We should let the gospel in and of itself be offensive. And so I really think that people who pick up this book will be able to really understand how to engage relationships better, um, and and really that's where the context of our life takes place. But I think the other thing that they're going to be able to do, and hopefully they'll be able to connect their LGBTQ friends and family to a Christ-centered church. Uh, That's really one of my my hopes with this book. Uh, Because when it comes down to it, um, and, and you especially see this within uh, the the modern day transgender activism that we see in our society, especially over in the UK, and it's really ramping up here, that uh, the, the whole idea of LGBTQ and the politicalization of it um, and everything else, you know, it is about money. It's about power. You know, a lot of politicians they don't care about the LGBTQ community. They care about getting reelected. They care about lobbyists. They care about special interest groups. But there's always a spiritual side to it, too. You can never divorce the physical from the spiritual. And here's what I think is the spiritual side of it, identity. This is all about identity. As a matter of fact, when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, what did he say first? If you eat this fruit, you will be just like God. So it's not, you know, it's not enough to be the creature. You need to be the creator. In a weird way, Satan was trying to get Adam and Eve to repeat his sin, saying, hey, you don't need to be down here. You take his place. And I mm-hmm. think ever since Genesis 3, we have had a huge identity issue. And uh, this is one of the biggest ways that we've seen identity issues 
crop up, and the enemy is really using this against uh, people, and it's really heartbreaking. So this book, Messy Truth, um, you'll go into churches and teach on this and and, uh, the leadership of a church, because a lot of times these issues are are being raised uh, in the pews, but the leadership of these churches have to make some decisions. Mm -hmm. And those decisions, those leaders are there really to protect the church on behalf of God. And so there's this fine line between being biblical and yet being compassionate with those who are sit, sitting out in the, in the pews. And and how do you negotiate with the, with the staff, with an elder board, a, maybe a, a board of a school, a university, in dealing with some of these issues? Well, some of these issues, as you could imagine, and I know as you know, are subjective. But there are principles that are, you know, transferable no matter where you go. Uh, principles like we need to create ways for LGBTQ people to get plugged into a church, to be able to sit in rows and, and hear preaching, to to be able to have community with other people, um, because that's where lives change. Like, I, more people than I know, and I'm sure you're the same, find and follow Jesus better in community than they do by themselves. Right. And so we have to find ways to get people plugged in without sacrificing our theological convictions— and I, it takes a lot of intentional conversations, but it also uh, takes placing some boundaries. Like, for instance, one of the things I tell churches is I think that there should be places where anybody can serve, even if they don't believe in God. And that could be anything. That could be going out and serving the community. That could be whatever. But you never want to put somebody in a position uh, where they have to lead worship or teach or hold spiritual responsibility for obvious reasons, but also for their part. You don't want to put somebody in a position where they would have to teach something that they don't believe because that would be extremely frustrating. So um, th- those are a couple examples of, of some of the principles I teach among other different principles. But ultimately it's this, that, that as Paul said in Romans 13, 8 through 10, that loving your neighbor fulfills the law. Mm. Brother, thank you so much for uh, coming in studio, and thank you for your books. I want to encourage everyone out there listening to pick up these books, Messy Grace. The latest one is Messy Truth by Caleb Kaltenbach. You can get a hold of Caleb at this website, MessyGraceGroup.org, MessyGraceGroup.org. I want to give that to you one more time just because I know some of you didn't have time to grab a pen or a pencil, and you can commit this to memory, but... You need to have Caleb come into your church, uh, come talk to your leadership, messygracegroup.org. Pick up that book or go to Amazon. You can pick it up there as well. I want to close out this uh, week with this story that many of you have heard about a man who fell into a pit. And uh, it's a picture of many people today that are in a lost state spiritually. This man fell in this pit. He couldn't get out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there in that pit. An an objective person came along and said, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into a pit. A mathematician tried to calculate how you fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted the exclusive story on the pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. Confucius said, if you'd listen to me, you would not be in that pit. Buddha said, your pit is only a state of mind. A realist said, that is a pit. Scientist is trying to figure out, calculate the pressure necessary pounds per square inch to get him out of the pit. And and at the at the end of this, the county inspector said you ha- you need a permit to dig that pit. But at the very end, uh, it says Jesus, seeing the man 
in the pit, took him by the hand, and lifted him out of that pit. I want you to know the greatest story ever told is the story of Jesus Christ. And if you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, pick up a Bible, read John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Dudley Rutherford, thank you for being here all week long. God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.